Hi everybody, I'm Cindy Mooring, the Founder and Executive Chair of the Business Integrity Leadership Initiative at the Sam M. Walton College of Business. And this is The Biz, the Business Integrity School podcast. Here, we talk about applying ethics, integrity, and courageous leadership in business, education, and most importantly, your life today. I've had nearly 30 years of real-world experience as a senior executive, so if you're looking for practical tips from a business pro who's actually been there, then this is the podcast for you. Welcome. Let's get started. Hi, everybody. I have with me today Professor Laura Spence. Hi, Laura. How are you? I'm good, thank you. Great. Let me tell you all a little bit about Laura. She is a professor of business ethics in the School of Business and Management at Royal Holloway University of London. And she's just completed her term as Associate Dean for Research, supporting the School of Business and Management and the School of Law and Social Sciences. Laura has previously held the posts of Director for the Center of Research into Sustainability and School Director for Research Impact. Laura has been selected to serve on the UK's Research Excellence Framework 2021 Evaluation Panel for Business and Management, which is quite an honor. Laura has taught at undergraduate and postgraduate level in the School of Business and Management on a range of topics related to business ethics, including corporate social responsibility, responsible entrepreneurship, and sustainability. She also contributes to the PhD student course on qualitative research, particularly in relation to research ethics. Laura is also the co-author of the most widely used textbook on business ethics in Europe today titled Business Ethics, which is now in its fifth edition. She is a consulting editor for the Journal of Business Ethics and has been a trustee and now advisor to the Institute of Business Ethics. So a wealth of knowledge that we get to uh, uh, have the benefit of today. So it's an honor and a pleasure to have you here today, Laura, and thank you for taking some time to be with us. Oh, thank you. You're welcome. So let's let's jump in, and the and the topic we are really in here in season two for um, the vod, the podcast video series is all about the future of business ethics and the future of business ethics education, and helping to define that so that students are more prepared. Uh, when they enter the world of business to deal with the issues that are, I think, coming at them faster and faster these days. Um, you know, having a, a compass of morality, which is important in leadership when it comes to making those tough decisions, happen almost on a daily basis, it seems like. And so much has happened in the field. So I, I am wanting to hear from you and others about what's changed in, let's say, the past 25 years or so ago when <laughs> The Harvard Business Review um, published an article by Andy Stark uh, talking about what's what's wrong with business ethics. And at the time, it was viewed as too theoretical and too general and too impractical. And so much has changed in the last 25 years. So I want to hear your views on that. But then more importantly, let's talk about charting that path for the future for the next 25 years. Uh, and what we think needs to be done there. So let's start with what Andy said was wrong um, with business ethics 25 years ago, your views on that, and where you think we've come to today. Yeah, oh, well, thank you. This is my favorite topic, <laughs> so, so we're, we're in a good space. Um, first of all, I think uh, 20, 25 years ago, uh, business ethics was really a kind of subset 
predominantly of applied moral philosophy. Absolutely nothing wrong with that. And I'd say one of the, the biggest journeys that's happened, if you like, in relation to business ethics is a shift to a, a social science perspective. And while I'm a professor of business ethics, I very much consider myself a, a social scientist and, and um, incorporate the use of moral theory. Yes, that, that kind of uh, abstract perspective, but also social theory. And I think that that starts to break things open and to to really uh, locate business ethics away from um, a very kind of straight and relatively narrow normative uh, viewpoint. And there, there's still space for that. I don't you know, I think we have to draw our understanding of the frameworks that we use from somewhere and, and absolutely ought to incorporate moral philosophy. Um, but that alone, I think, really didn't do the necessary work of business ethics. And yeah. I think maybe that's where we've, we've come some distance um, in the last 20, 25 years. So that would be my starting point. Yeah. So how have we done that? Tell me a little bit about how you think <laughs> we've made that leap well, I think it's it's partly the actors that have been involved, right? So if if um, business ethics was, and I think it was the case that business ethics as an academic subject was dominated by a North American, probably just a US viewpoint, um, particularly um, coming from the Society for Business Ethics, which I absolutely admire and have long been involved with and engaged with and learned a great deal from, um, but that's just one way of looking at the world. So I think since then, um, a whole range of voices from around the world, for, certainly from, from my kind of home territory uh, in Europe, um, but also increasingly now much further afield and, and away from kind of Western perspectives has really uh, encouraged an acknowledgement of contextualized issues and how difficult and um, kind of it just doesn't fit to keep trying to put western developed moral philosophy on every different aspect of the world it doesn't fit you know and then if you start acknowledging that then you have to start looking for things that do fit and things that do help us explain the empirical world and i think that in that social science uh kind of uh, development that's what i think has is shifted is from starting from the moral philosophy from my reading, we now start from the empirical world and then look back to try to explain that and whether that's social or moral philosophy or whatever theoretical perspective we use to help explain what we see. Um, I think that the starting points flipped uh, in the intervening years. Yeah, very interesting and sort of a broadening of perspectives. Right, so a different starting Absolutely. point and broadening the perspectives. So, so you are in 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 London, and you have written uh, with Dirk Matten, who we've also spoken to the you know the preeminent book that's used there. Um, so, so let's talk a little bit about whether or not you think business ethics is understood the same way in um, as you described uh, uh, the Western world and um, in Europe and. Do you think, let's just start there. Do you think they're understood the same way or not? And if not, what do you think are some of the differences? Um, I think there is, um, I don't want to say convergence, but there's more crossover these days in an academic sense, at least because it's, it's so blurred um, where people publish, where they're based. So many people that grew up in, in Europe are working in, in North America and vice versa. And so you can't kind of just 
stick someone in a in a in a kind of a space anymore and say well you represent a particular point of view maybe you never could but we did tend to do that in the past um but from a from a business point of view and and people like dirk and jeremy moon have written about this um the the difference in in approach in a european and i probably am talking about a continental european perspective okay. now and uh, a north american one could be quite different from the, the more individualistic perspective in uh, north america to the more macro um governmental level understanding of how we ought to organize society in order to allow for good ethics and good social responsibility so there is that perspective and that still exists it would be foolish to think it doesn't but just as um, academics are, are kind of multicultural, if you like so are businesses so we see um, looking at, at multinational corporations whether that's a Danish multinational corporation like Maersk the shipping um, company or an American multinational like um, Apple say for example you know right. those 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 cultures tend to uh, kind of uh, spread out with the the different distribution channels and right. branches and um, you know different sections of the business around the world which brings us to this idea of kind of uh, uh, spreading out uh, ethics if you like and taking a uh, say for example a Danish or a US perspective on what is socially responsible and ethical and trying to uh, have that apply wherever you do business that unsurprisingly is problematic um, and brings us brings us to all those difficult questions around context and how we can try to perhaps uh, or how businesses sometimes seek to impose their perspective of moral responsibility on um, cultural context where right. there is a very weak fit shall we say yeah yeah so globalization has affected it in many respects um i hear you saying but it doesn't always it doesn't always fit so more of a convergence do you think between the two views which is partially a result of what has happened with kind of just the globalization in general of academics and business and and uh, kind of the combining of the thought process, which I see as, as beneficial. I mean, it does help advance the field to break down the silos in any respect. You know, businesses, you see that, you know, you, you, you gather greater perspective when you break down the silos between the different departments and you broaden the perspective and kind of see the same thing happening here in terms of the, you know, views around business ethics between um, kind of Europe and, and uh, the United States. So um, it's interesting to see it evolve. And I think you described that well. So let me ask you another question about uh, kind of the US and, and Europe and whether or not it's had any effect or not. Um, so in 2019, actually just about a year ago now, the Business Roundtable put out a, uh, a, a new pronouncement on um, the purpose of a corporation. And it was a change, it, it, you know, they had defined it as the primary purpose was for shareholders and it stood for 22 years. Um, and now they've changed and actually recognized more of a stakeholder theory and, and recognizing that the purpose of a corporation signed on by 181 of the world's largest, you know, companies, um, uh, that it should be to serve the stakeholders and all the stakeholders. So dealing ethically with suppliers and dealing with your employees and dealing with the um, uh, communities in which they serve. Did that have that pronouncement, did it have much effect uh, in Europe or was there any buzz about it? A little bit, a little bit of buzz, but um, 
yeah, no, I don't think there were shockwaves around Europe <laughs> in response to that. I mean, bear, bear in mind, uh, there are such initiatives also across the European sort of continent. Right. Um, it's not new to try to bring businesses together and to sort of stake a claim about the perspective. The European Union has been leading on that for years, decades as well. Um, and coincidentally, there must be something in the zeitgeist, I suppose, because um, the British Academy has been funding a project exactly around the purpose of the corporation for the last few years as well. So, yeah. you know, they ha they've come up with eight principles. This thinking is going on all around the globe and has been. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm up to speed with the European perspective, but these things will also be happening in what we let, let me call the majority world. We talk about yeah. the developing economies, but actually that's not necessarily very helpful terminology. Um, the, the rest of the world, if you like, is the majority perspective. And yeah. just by listening to Europe's point of view or, or the US's point of view, we're we're just thinking about a minority point of view and there and there are power issues here and that's that's word that has been um not enough uh engaged with i think from a business ethics point of view you know there's there's power in terms of the dominant discourse if you like of uh, in academia and there's power in terms of the the dominance of of corporate perspectives but even you so you talk about how many corporations have signed up to to a particular initiative and we have to remember that large firms constitute way less than 10 percent of any any kind of uh, measure of private sector businesses you know they while one individual organization might have a, a a big impact and we can't you know overlook that that's important um if we only look to those corporates to tell us what's right, we are really doing ourselves and the world and society a disservice because they're spectacularly in the minority and the numbers of people working for them are it's about half of the people that are employed by the private sector employed by private corporations. Let's talk about the rest of the world and the and the majority of um, uh, the population. What needs to happen in the future to advance business ethics to the majority and to everyone who works or is affected by, let's say, the large companies in the supply chains? Mm. Well, again, draw specifically from uh, work that I've done quite recently um, in India with colleagues from Bath University and Sheffield University. And we've been um, really trying to think from the bottom, if you see what I mean, and understand from the bottom. And I guess the first step is to stop talking and start listening. Quite simple, <laughs> probably a good, good motto for life anyway. Um, but rather than think about how we can help the majority world and explain to them what they should be doing about business ethics, the starting point, I think, really has to be listening to what is already happening in those places and what is relevant to the actors there. And so it's kind of easy to um, uh, look at the, the sort of systems and structures that we have in, the, in place in Europe, let's say, and think, well, yes, we've got it all, all worked out. All we need to do is plonk that down in other countries and lucky them. Won't they be better, right. better off? And we'll have taught them. Right. We'll have kindly taught them. <laughs> We're just going to export yeah. it. We, we will, it'll be so simple. <laughs> right. Yes, absolutely. 
that's not no. the way that life works. That's not a, not a good starting point. We've tried that in the past yeah. with terrible, terrible outcomes. So, you know, the first thing is to, to have partners and work with people from, from different parts of the majority world. And of course we can't lump everything together. But so for example, when we were looking at uh, the textile industry, industry in Tirupur in India, and I would wager everybody watching this uh, vodcast has probably got something that is in their wardrobe that's made from Tirupur in India, um, very, very high production levels and high quality production levels as well. And by going there and speaking to, to all the business intermediaries that are involved in uh, being part of global supply chains in the textile um, industry, and rather than um, looking to sort of add to the kind of audit culture and be thinking, okay, we're looking at looking and making judgments. We're taking our standards and our regulations with us, trying to see whether they fit or not. To start from listening for, to the point of view of those business people um, and importantly, um, the workers. And this is workers is, is kind of a strange thing in business ethics. So much of business ethics is directed um, at businesses as if all they are made up of is the board and senior managers and if that's what constitutes business again that's a minority <laughs> you know it is. powerful but a minority you know actually if we want to think about the business in terms of the people that work within it it's the workers the people doing the day-to-day -day business and it's difficult to research those people partly because you need the position the permission of their managers and their the superiors within the business and they're not always keen to let you <laughs> speak right, to right. their workers right yeah and even when you do speak to them the workers themselves are thinking oh, oh this person's been sent to me from from head office or wherever i've got to be careful what i say and of course as a researcher that's not what you want you want to be completely independent and yeah, open yeah, yeah. Um, so that's that's all of those things are are tricky and difficult and then to keep listening, to, to push further to understand the, the different perspectives in the world. Actually, something we've been doing most recently in our projects relating to India is to look outside the workplace. Um, we are so, so, so um, caught up with the idea of the boundary of the corporation or the business, if, we, if we're getting outside of the corporate lens, the business itself, that we fail to really think about the, um, the business as society. No, not business in society, but business, which is already quite radical in many respects, but business as society and think about what's happening outside of the workplace. In the first instance, for those workers, you know, if we understand, imagine if we understand workers as whole human beings <laughs> with a life outside the workplace, uh -huh. then we start to get a very different picture. And to understand what's happening in, in the workplace, actually, we need to understand the whole life of the worker and those that are engaged with the, the business organization. Can you, can you share some of the things that you've observed and learned in, in that latest research? Oh man, yes. <laughs> well, it's been really, really enlightening to, to really, so in this particular case in India, and it's not all generalizable everywhere, but we do see some sort of similar reflections. We have to really think about the structural issues of society. So in the Indian context that, context, that means thinking about the paternalistic nature of society, the fact that there are particular roles for different gender that are 
somewhat replicated in the workplace and the home, but that's the women workers who are very often uh, recruited in preference, partly because they lack power and accept lower pay and will do more menial work. Um, those women are the same ones that go home and look after the um, children, the next generation. We talk about um, social reproduction here and the work that women do in social reproduction, looking after the future generation of workforce and also, of course, looking after the men that may be doing quite similar to work them as them or in the same factories, but don't go home and then do all the household work as well. So taking into account the, the work that goes on that is unpaid, um, uh -huh. this is pretty global phenomenon, right? Um, and really understanding what that means for the organization within the workplace and, and just some very simple things like working conditions. Mm. We might also think um, in that work, we've really learned a lot about uh, recruitment and migration patterns of workers. So mm. many of the workers come from the north of India, where it's a different culture, different language, uh -huh. um, different uh, stereotypes and perspectives about you know, what people are like from the north of India in relation to the, to the southern Indian um, workers. And there's also uh, issues around how those people are housed. Again, we start getting outside of the workplace in order to understand what's going on within the workplace. Right, right. Um, and so they, we've learned a lot. We're working on uh, a paper around hostels and how the, the uh, people often women, not only, but often women that um, come to work in, in sort of cities in, in Tirupur where um, they are, in order to ensure their security and safety, on the one hand, they're kept in hostels, kept. That uh, gives away <laughs> this perspective, which, which are uh, a form of um, reduction of their freedom because they're not allowed to leave the hostel without permission or without being accompanied by a manager. And so the um, home life, the host living in the hostel becomes part of the work life and the control that, that is experienced in the workplace is identical to the control that's in experienced in the, in the sort of home place. Mm. Um, and, th you know, those kinds of things are so easy to overlook when we're just thinking about uh, what we do when we walk into a shop and buy an item of clothing. And yet now, if I walk into a shop and buy an item of clothing, well, I haven't done actually for, for months and months and months because all I can see is the faces of those often women workers and what, has, you know, what it means in their life to produce that one T-shirt for me to buy at a ridiculously cheap price. That puts a bit of a different perspective on business ethics, I think, when you really start to understand the lives of the people that have produced the product and the raw material, which we then gobble up and consume without much consideration. Yeah. And I think the connection of those two worlds between, you know, the, the end, the company that has the product at the end of the line and the worker who's, 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 working in those conditions, if you will, to produce the end product is um, the companies at the end of the line who seem to, to, to get it are those who have taken the time to listen, to visit, to explore those um, areas where the goods are being produced and engage in the local community to figure out how they can positively impact uh, the workers' lives outside of the workplace 
with a recognition, I think, of what exact, exactly it is that you're saying, is it is business in society, um, or actually business as society, right? Um, and seeing the full, the full kind of, the, the, the bigger picture, if you will, and the full, the full chain. Um, and there is, there, I, there's a huge opportunity there to engage and invest and positively impact uh, the mm. conditions because working for women is good. It gives them empowerment and, and gives them ability, uh, the ability to have some self-confidence <clears throat> and raise their, their ability to contribute in the world. Uh, but there's still a lot of barriers that have to be overcome. And so bringing that lens into full focus is very important. Well, this has been uh, a fabulous conversation and I'm going to ask you perhaps even a harder question now. <laughs> Can you think <laughs> uh -oh. about how you would um, summarize, uh, summarize what you see as the future of business ethics and business ethics education um, with three words or three phrases? Like what are the most important things that you think um, faculty, practitioners uh, need to hear in order to prepare students and uh, companies, if you will, for the future of business ethics? Yeah, yeah. well, I mean, I really honestly think this is our moment from a business ethics point of view. And if we do not get our act together and get in the game, get in the argument, roll our sleeves up, <laughs> get dirty, really really think about the, the place of business ethics in uh, business society academia then you know we have lost we've really lost so I think well, there's a huge opportunity here because um, you know, very few people will say these days it, business ethics isn't needed you know I think we've we've won that we've won that that battle that game yeah. what yeah. we need to do now is get involved so I mean uh, three words or a good academic loves three words I'd go for <laughs> centrality you know we have to be in the middle of the discussion you know there's been lots of talk through business ethics about being on the main being in the mainstream and engaging with the mainstream that very often I think has been a little bit of a mistake and meant um, trying to talk in ways which economists will listen to um, in order to win some kind of theoretical battle. I that's not helping from my point of view. We actually need to be at the core of the discussion, and um, which would bring me on to my second point, which is, is not being afraid, being critical. So you know, we need to be central, we need to be critical mm -hmm. um, and daring in what we say. So um, like I say, so often it's, it's been about trying to, trying to be legitimate within a capitalist economics framework. I think the time for that has passed. We need to be a little bit more um, willing to to say something frightening, scary, difficult, awkward, <laughs> combative, if necessary. You know, really, really be ready to to speak up. And then the next thing is urgency. I mean, you know, I think business ethics um, is is and should be shifting in the future to a phenomenon-driven approach. You know, at the beginning of the year. 2020 it looked like it was going to be kind of climate change which was going to do that and say yeah. okay we can't we can't ignore climate change then there's the well but kind of coupled with that the um the me too movement and then black lives matter right. and of course covid19 you know how could business ethics not be engaged with these 
urgently you know so if you for my three words i'd say centrality criticality urgency you know, we are well well i personally am over <laughs> sitting on the sidelines that's fabulous and i um i agree a hundred percent it's sort of like the perfect storm moment when you know it's time to time to move through that in a in a productive way to get to the other side and to get to basically business ethics 3.0 uh, and I think your three words sum that up quite well. So let me end on a couple of uh, just personal questions that people can, can, mm -hmm. can use for resources or to get to know you a little bit better. Um, so what, uh, if you have a book or a podcast or a video uh, or movie you've been watching lately, we've all been spending a lot of time inside due to COVID. You may have an example from each of those categories, but what, uh, what kind of has, um, been a release for you, something that's been fun to read, yet informative, and also, by the way, included an ethical dilemma somewhere buried in there. Yeah, my goodness, yes, it's everywhere. Yes. Um, I guess I can probably give you one of everything. <laughs> so uh, on the kind of visual front, the um, TV series, actually, that I've uh, really, really sort of watched with fascination is a Danish TV series called Borgen. I don't know whether whether you see it in the states, but it's about a a uh, the first or a depiction of the first woman prime minister in Denmark and the, the journey that she takes. Absolutely packed with ethical challenges and issues. Very very kind of readily relatable to to I think any context, including business. And then I'm a big reader of novels, so. Um, in fact, when I came back from India and learning so much and being so personally shaken by what I'd seen in factories, I kind of was was conscious this isn't just something that happens in India, of course. Um, and I kind of looked for literature which would translate some of that or or tell that story in um, Western context. And so I, I went back uh, a little bit historically and read... Um, uh, Upton Sinclair's work, uh, The Jungle. Upton Sinclair's work uh, really, really sort of uh, shines a light on the, the terrible, horrendous working conditions, particularly of migrants in the meatpacking um, district. And lo and behold, when uh, COVID really took off, some of the big problems were also in meat processing and packing companies so that was really kind of moving for me because I thought well you know here I was reading about something and thinking well at least that's that's in the past and it simply isn't <laughs> you know here it is and you know that sort of um, historical novels but novels which which open up a, another point of view to me I, I absolutely adore and you know really learn a lot from and really you never have to look far to learn about business ethics it's always right at the end of your nose if you're if you're tuned into it so um, yeah. no there's lots of great fun out there but um no that i really learn a lot from that that's great laura this has been an amazing conversation thank you so very much for your time and i look forward to uh reading more about your work and your current research and keeping in touch and we can do this again um, in the future when we've got uh, uh, the next chapter to write, if you will. So thank yeah, you. Yeah, absolutely. So see, you in, see you in 20 years. <laughs> yeah. oh, Thanks, Laura. It's been great. Thanks. It's my pleasure. Absolutely my pleasure. Thank you very much. Okay. Bye-bye. 
Thanks for listening to today's episode of The Biz, the Business Integrity School. You can find us on YouTube, Google SoundCloud, iTunes, or wherever you find your podcasts. Be sure to subscribe and rate us. And you can find us by searching The Biz. That's one word, T-H-E-B-I-S. Tune in next time for more practical tips from a pro.